Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Matthew chapter 5, here we go. If you got your Bibles, turn there. Let me hear a loud amen when you get there. Amen. All right, I heard some amen. Somebody were preemptive. They were ready. Um, and uh, I'm going to say amen in just a second as well. Amen, amen, amen. Matthew chapter 5. This is the retelling of, uh, of, of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been, if you uh, were with us last night, you heard a little bit of this. Um, if you weren't with us last night, let me just please say this to you. Join us on a Saturday night down at Wissahickon. We meet together at 5 o'clock, and we love to, to have you down there worshiping with us as well. So both places, we're worshiping the King together, 5 o'clock on Saturday nights, and then 1030 here at Roxborough, believing that God is doing something great. This is what the Word of God says. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. I said this last night. Let me start, again, start right here. Uh, the first thing we find out in this scripture is that God, uh, that, that when Matthew tells a story and when Luke tells a story, he identifies that there was two groups of people here. There was a big crowd of folks. And then specifically, there were the disciples. And, and, you know, we asked a little bit about the question about what's the difference between the crowds and the disciples. Maybe there were some people in the crowds who knew Jesus, but why weren't they considered to be a disciples? And, and here it is. The definition or understanding of a disciple is a learner. It's somebody who leans in. Somebody who is leaning forward, saying, I want to know you. Matter of fact, if you actually study what a disciple was in biblical times, a disciple was somebody who gave up 100% of their lifestyle to sit at the feet of their instructor. So literally, the job of the disciple went from whatever they did to being the, one, the first one in line in front of the one who they were following. And they would sit there to learn. They would sit there to support. They would literally lean in. We talk about disciple pretty free. Use that word pretty free these days. You know, I'm a disciple of just anybody who said yes to Jesus. But, but, but actually in Bible times, there was, there was a distinction between those who had said yes to Jesus and the disciples. Right? Many people said yes to Jesus. Matter of fact, the scriptures tell stories about thousands in a day saying yes to Jesus. But not thousands in a day became disciples. Not thousands walked away from everything they knew to become disciples that day. So, it says, so the scripture says that he sat down and began to teach. The disciples were with him. He began to teach them. The others were there. They could hear. They were in shouting distance. This would be something that would be heard by many but would be received differently by the disciples. So let me say this to you today. Maybe you're here today, and uh, what, when I, what, what we're going to be saying and, and everything we've been doing in worship is something that you're, you're here, and you're in the presence, and you're seeing it, and you're hearing it, and you're participating at whatever level you can. But that's it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it, it's not sticking. You know, it's just, yeah, I'm, I went, and I got in, and I got out, and that's it. Well, it's probably better than nothing. But let me just say this to all of us. If that's who we understand our relationship with God to be like, you're sadly missing a whole lot. I went to this one church out in Michigan, and uh, I was swimming in one of the Great Lakes, which was kind of fun. Um, by the way, those lakes are great. But let me just tell you this. Your pastor did, almost didn't make it home. Here's a true story. Here's a true, true story. I didn't know I was going to tell the story, but I just feel led to tell you this. Um, we were swimming in, in uh, one of the Great Lakes. I don't remember which one it was. It was too big to remember. And, uh, and while... 
Thank you, about 80 of y'all got that. And uh, while, while we were swimming in the Great Lake, we had, a, we had a beach ball we blew up. Please do not tell this story to my kids. Please do not tell this story to my kids, because you will have to deal with them crying. There was a beach ball of it. How many of y'all saw the movie um, 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 Cast Away? Cast Away. All right, put your hand up. How many of y'all have no idea what Cast Away is? Put your hand up. It's a generational moment right here. Look around. Oh, Larry, put your hand down. Now it's a generational moment. Look around. See that? So you don't know what Castaway is. You need, you, need, you need to rent this movie and just watch it one time. It's three hours of your life. You'll never get back. But you won't want it back because it was that good. Anyway, so um, I had a Castaway moment. We were, uh, we were, we were at, swimming in the Great Lakes. It was like, there was like 13 of us swimming in this area. And then six of them were. Um, and uh, we had one beach ball. You know, you know the kids, what kids do? You, know, you play with the beach ball and you find rocks and you know, other things that are in the bottom of the lake. And just, yeah, it's great. It's a cool time. Well, the, the storm was blowing in, just like any, any good movie would tell you. The storm was blowing in, and, and the waters were getting a little bit rough, and the three-hour, no, not the three-hour tour, but, uh, but, but anyway, so the storm was blowing in, and, uh, and, and, and honestly, the waters were getting a little bit choppy, and let me, let me just tell you this. I can't swim. This, this is not a joke. I can't swim. Like, I, I, I can save my life, or I can save your life, but I can't save both. All right, you know, like it just it, one of us comes back, one of us doesn't, right? So I can't swim real well. My wife, on the other hand, she's a fish, right? Like, like she's great in the water. Um, so we're playing in the water, and uh, at this by this point, the, you know, it's a little bit too cold for Michelle to be in the water. So she's on the beach, and she's kind of on the beach looking out, and she sees the storm coming. She's like, "Guys, you should start coming in." And when we start coming in, the ball starts going out, and the ball just begins to float. Now, it's not real far. It's about as far as from the front to the back of the sanctuary. And I have this moment in my mind, this Michael Phelps kind of moment. I just realized in my mind, I can get that ball. And I wanted to get the ball because my kid, my, my daughter specifically, was crying. She was missing the ball. She was like, the ball! And, and you, you know, crocodile tears were coming because the ball was floating away, and I just did it. I did it. I just went in 100%. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, got, I got about four rows back, and I realized if I get the ball, somebody's going to have to get me. <laughs> about the same time, I was yelling, stop, don't do it, don't do it. So I stopped. And then the hero comes into the scene. This young guy had to be about 16 years old, clearly on a swim team, you know, just, just, just everything you could imagine, just comes running out, dives in the water, you know, like, just, just patiently, gets all the way out there to the ball. My kids are like, yeah. And I'm like, get me back to shore. And she's like, yeah. Right, right. Gets the ball. And then it happens. He grabs a hold of the ball. And realizes he can't swim back with it. He's too exhausted. And now I'm thinking, do I save him or the ball? Do I save him or the ball? <laughs> Michelle at this point is making her way into the water to save all of us. <laughs> Just in that moment, his four friends, who are also on the swim team, swim out to him. And they hook him up under the arms, and they paddle him back. And all I can think about is the whole time is, why didn't you bring the ball? <laughs> the ball just keeps floating away. 
your pastor, honestly, I, I got back on shore, and I was just like, Michelle, I'm sorry I didn't get the ball. She was like, Ray, you're alive. That's a victory. It's a victory. Your pastor almost did not make it back from sabbatical. So whenever I write that book, one of the chapters is going to be, don't swim when you can't swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I realized that. Um, anyway, so uh, I don't remember how I was telling you the story, but, but I almost didn't make it back. But some of you might be, oh, here you go. Some of you might, I don't, it's not going to have anything to do with the story, but we're going to move on. Some of you might be here today and just really might be thinking to yourselves, like, hey, like, I, I'm excited to hear what, what God has to say, but I don't know, I'm not ready to kind of allow it to, to dive deep into my life. Kind of like, like easy on, easy off. Like one of those frying pans that you don't have to spray with a butter spray. Y'all don't, y'all don't know about that yet. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Unstick, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some of those people in the crowds there, too. There's some people who are really excited about what Jesus is going to say, and then there's some people who are just like, I'll listen, whatever. And then there are some people who are like, I'm just looking for some reason to call you evil, right? They're there with the wrong spirit, wrong mind, wrong attitude. I imagine all these people are in the crowds, and yet Jesus continues to teach. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If I could rewrite that today, I would say, blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt. We're not talking about dollars and cents here. We're talking about people who just feel like I'm bottomed out in my faith. Everything that Jesus is going to go on to say really hinges on this understanding. Right from the beginning, he says, hold on. Hold on. I was thinking the same thing when I saw my young friend out in the way in the, out into, the, into that lake with the ball. I was like, hold on. I don't know how long it's going to take for Jesus to get there, but hold on. I I can't come save you, but I hope he does. Hold on. But Jesus is literally saying to us in this passage, just hang on. Don't give up yet. Hold on. And if we hold on, he says, for yours, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To the person who might be sitting here with us today who's saying, you know, I'm ready to tap out like, I've been doing the faith thing, but man, I've been doing the church thing. I've been trying to follow Jesus, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I don't know if I can do it anymore. I just implore you, hold on. The promise that he has made you is still yours. Hold on. It might feel like he's bottomed out, but he hasn't. Hold on. You might feel like, you know, I just can't do this anymore, but you can. Hold on. Blessed are those who mourn, for for they will be comforted. Those of us who are longing for the comforter. The scripture says, Jesus said that he had to go, but when he goes, he he would send one who would be the great counselor, the great comforter, the one who would come alongside of us, who would be with us in the depths of the hurts. You know, I, I don't know about you, but, but Satan wins the battle in my mind when, when, when I allow the spirit of depression to set in, when I, when I find anything that seems to be positive in my life, and I look at everything from a place that's negative, and I know you might be sitting there thinking, you're a pastor, you're not supposed to do it. I don't want to do that, but I want you to understand something. If you prick me, I bleed like you do. So I believe that some of you have sat in your room at night too and have have looked to the heavens and and have cursed at the skies and have just said, I don't want to do this anymore because everything seemed dark and it seemed like you were defeated. That voice gets really loud when I dismiss the voice of the one who brings comfort. 
So for those of us who are in a season who might be struggling with this, I want to implore you, please, listen to the voice of the one who brings the comfort and don't give extra space to the voice of the one who seeks to defeat you, that seeks to suggest to you that you should run away from the king of kings. Because the king of kings, the one who died on my behalf and your behalf, the one who desires to be in right relationship with you and in right relationship with me, he's the one who says, I, though I leave you in this moment, I bring you, I gift you the one who brings comfort. So whatever it is that we're sitting in, whatever it is we're going through, to the young mom and the young dad in the room, I, I say to you on those, on those sleepless nights when you're like, I can't do this anymore because my kid has kept me up all night long and, and, and I'm tired and I'm bottomed out, to the young man or young woman in the room who feels like you're, you're losing because the job isn't going the way you hoped or the resources aren't there or the education program isn't, isn't meeting the criteria that you were hoping it was going to, to the husband and wife in the room who are playing like you're doing, doing life together, but in reality, you're living in two different worlds. To every one of us, I say to you, I say to you right now, the one who brings comfort, the one who reconciles, the one who brings us back together is the king of kings. And he is the one who's saying to you, give my voice a space in your life because I have come to give you great comfort and hope and not to see you defeated. I believe that's what Jesus is saying to the crowds when he says, blessed are you who mourn because there will be a great comforter who is there with you. You will be comforted by God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, are hung, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you still got your Bibles out, flip over to Isaiah chapter 33, and let me hear amen when you get there. I'm going to wake you up by making you turn some pages. Isaiah 33. It's not going to be on the screen. You're going to have to flip there. Isaiah 33. It's too good not to. I heard a couple of amens. Let me get a couple more. Isaiah 33, going to start in verse 13. One more amen when you get there. Come on, together. This is what it says in Isaiah 33. The prophet says, you who are far away. Let me make sure you hear me. You who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips, and grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with the everlasting burning? Those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop the ears against the plots of murder and shudder their eyes against uh, contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, who refu whose refuge will be on the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and water will not fail them. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. Those of us who, who, who are surrendered to Jesus, we have been called to a new way of life. If I had to retitle my message, I would say up, living in an upside-down kingdom. Living in an upside-down kingdom. See, see, God has called us to reorient our eyes in his way of living, in the way that he is pointing us out. And so he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Isaiah says, who of us is worthy? Who of us? And he says, none of us, but the ones, those of us who seek, right, seek to live righteously will see something beyond what we see today. I ask you today, what does your life look like? 
If I could get real with you for a minute, if I could be into the depths of your personal, what does your life look like? Not, not what do you look like for me on Sundays? Y'all some good-looking people, by the way. Let me just acknowledge this. Let me celebrate. There was an engagement while I was away. Hey, come on, stand up, stand up, stand up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You got engaged, you went public. You're cute. Go ahead, stand up. Look at them. Yeah. I did get that right on Facebook, right? If not, you got to get on the knee right now, buddy. <laughs> All right, there you go. Celebrate you guys. So excited for you. Um, uh, I mean, you, got, you guys, on Sunday, I mean, you look great. But I'm not really asking about that. I'm sorry to put you all on the spot, but it's so good to see you. I'm not really asking about that. I'm asking about, like, in the secret private moments. What's righteous living look like then? You see, I believe that God calls us to a new standard of life. He doesn't lower the bar for once we get in. Getting in is, 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 is the entry. That's, 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 that's the low bar. What he calls us to, and what he equips us to after that is much greater, much greater. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When I think about the word righteous, I'm thinking about this. Justified, living a, a justified, a living, um, seeking justice and living a justified life Upright and blameless. Y'all remember that language, upright and blameless? Who am I thinking about? Come on, somebody say it out. Somebody in Scripture was called upright and blameless before God. Anybody? There was this guy named Job. There was this guy named Job. Come on, somebody heard of him. How many of y'all heard of Job? Come on, there you go. Y'all, don't ever forget us about Job again. Job was known to be upright and blameless. Matter of fact, God, it's the only place in Scripture, I believe, it's the only place in Scripture where we see this story, where God and Satan are having a dialogue together, right? And Satan says to God, give me Job. And God says, Job is the only one who is upright and blameless. That's the language he says about him. Now, that language orients the same thing as someone who lives righteously. It doesn't mean he was flawless. It doesn't mean he was sinless. We know that was only Jesus who was that. But, but this idea of being upright and blameless means that his eyes are fixed on righteous living. Right? So therefore, you and I, as people who have surrendered and yielded our life to Jesus, our eyes are to be fixed on righteous living. The things that we are to be moved toward and inspired by are things that are righteous before God. In other words, we're gifted the eyes and the ability to see the desires of God and to pursue those things. How are we doing, church? How are we doing at saying what I want is what he wants? 90 Days Off gives you a lot of stories, so I'll share another one. We, uh, we had a couple of days on our road trip that uh, we didn't know where we were gonna, what we were going to do. We, we had a destination we had to get to in Ohio in two days, but it would really only take us one day to get there, so we had a day we could fill and do whatever we wanted, things like that. And there were a couple different times, and, and just like any other time that this would come up, you had to figure out, well, well what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to negotiate? And so, you know, like every good family would be, we sat down around the table and said, all right, everybody, you get to vote. Where are we going to go? Right? And so the kids are like, I want to go to Six Flags. And we're like, 
that's not going to happen. But thanks for your vote. You know, and, you know, my daughter's like, I want to have an all-day picnic. And I was like, perfect, by yourself while I'm driving. It's going to be great, you know. Uh, but, but everybody got a chance to vote. Everybody got a chance to vote and say what, what they wanted. Um, what I realized in those moments about myself was that I really just want what I want. I just want what I want. So I listened. But in the back of my mind, while people were talking, I was thinking of all the reasons why I could tell them my idea was better, because I just wanted what I wanted. What I also realized in that moment was, though I was the driver, someone was telling me where to go. So even though I knew what I wanted, I wasn't likely to get it, right? And, uh, and it's, it's be, it was because my family was going to make better decisions than I would have made on my own. And so, so Michelle was like, well, thank you, everybody, for voting. Here's where we're going to go. And, uh, and usually those places where we went um, were really, really good for our family. Really, really good for our family. But I had dreamt up on my own. Like I was picturing us, you know, sitting and watching like, you know, the cars that race around the track over and over and over again. I don't know what they're called, but I thought we would do that, you know. And, and, and instead we, we, were, we went to a zoo. And <laughs> it was cool. It was cool. I, I, I struggle. I struggle at times with would honestly saying, I want what God wants. Because I've made up in my mind sometimes what I really want. Am I the only one? But see, what, what, I, what I see when I, when I hear this cry for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is the language of somebody who says, I want more than anything, I want what God wants. For those of us who might struggle with that, let me say this. What God wants more than anything is what is best for you. And every definition of that statement is true. What God wants more than anything is what is best for you. He wanted it this much because he thought it was best for you. God wanted you and what was best for you this much. That's not how I would have scripted it. Probably not how you would have scripted it. But what he wants more than anything is what is best for you. Blessed are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. By the way, I'm not going to get to it, but Romans 5, if you want to take notes, Romans 5, 1 through 5, um, is another telling of this idea of of people who are looking for righteous living. I would say, look at that passage as well. That might help you in understanding that a little bit more. Blessed are, are the merciful, for they will, show, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. Those of us who are repentant, confessional, reorienting our eyes and our heart back to God. Being pure in heart is not something that you create on your own. It is God who makes us pure in heart. The part you do, Pastor Crawford, the part you do, Barb, the part you do, Zach, the part Marcus does, the part Eric does, the part every one of us do, even you, Scott, the part every one of us do, I want to get somebody in who wasn't home at church here. The part every one of us do in order to be pure in heart is depend on God to accept our confession and to shift our heart toward repentance. 
when our hearts are fixed on things that are not of God, when our lives are circling around things that don't look like the king, even if our mouths speak confession, our hearts don't shift toward repentance. Our hearts shift toward repentance when we really say, God, you. So God, here it is. I confess to you, and I trust that you will. I trust that you can. I trust that you do. That's a beautiful baby. That's a beautiful baby. Oh, what a beautiful baby. I trust that you can, and I trust that you will. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If everybody could just read this with me. I want us to read verse 10 together. Um, because persecution is real. And when persecution comes our way undeservedly, our natural response is to MMA. If you don't know what that is, just look it up later. That's our natural response. But this is what the scripture says. Verse 10, let's read that together. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus suggests that there is a blessing to receive in the moments in which you yourselves are being battled against. When you yourselves are at war. By the way, we, we, again, one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot maybe in church, but probably should have a larger platform. There, there is a reality. This is a reality. There is a spiritual battle that exists all around you. It exists everywhere you go, and anywhere you specifically go, it will be there. Because, see, if you surrender your life to Jesus, the enemy, the enemy, Satan, the, 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 uh, the, the, the one who is the persecutor, the, the, his desire is that he would just give you an off-ramp, that he would derail you in some way, that he would move you away from what you're committed to. And so Jesus says, blessed are you when that, number one, because you that's why he's coming against you. And number two, because if you'll endure it, if you'll hang in there, if you won't give up, if you won't turn your eyes, if you'll reject the voice of the evil one, if you'll cry out to God and say, God, might my heart be right before you, might my eyes be fixed on you, my living be righteous before you, if you'll lean into God like a disciple, Jesus says, I promise you this, the kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours, the gift that you are to receive then in that moment and to hang on to for eternity is yours. By the way, this idea of kingdom of heaven is not a place that I'll get to someday exclusively. It's here and now. If you surrendered your life to Jesus, you're a part of the kingdom of heaven here and now. You are heaven on earth for every one of are the example of God's fulfilled plan for every one of us to see and understand. The kingdom of heaven is yours there and now and forever eternally as we say yes to Jesus because of the work that he has done, no matter what the battle is that we are in. And when those moments happen, and they might just happen to you, when those moments happen, when you fall off the wagon, when you go in the wrong direction. I was talking to a young man this morning who was telling me about the fact that he had been on this whole 30 diet. And, uh, but th this weekend came in the middle of a whole 
whole 30. So we cut it to a whole 18, and he ate like four cheesesteaks, right? And, I, and, you know, and he's like, he's like, Pastor Ray, I fell off the wagon. Well, I say to him, stay off that wagon for a little while because the cheesesteaks are worth it. But when you get back on it, when you get back on it, don't be defeated by the voice you fell off the wagon. Understand that the one who invited you on the wagon to begin with is excited that you're back with him. Understand that he is excited to say to you, yes, I receive you. Yes, I forgive you. Yes, I restore you. Yes, I renew you. Yes, I have a great plan for you. Yes, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Yes, come in. Yes, I'm glad to have you home. We know the story. It's tried and true. The story of the young man who ran away from dad and went out in the world and lived and enjoyed everything he did out there until there was nothing left to enjoy. And he came back home expecting dad to say, how dare you, you worthless child. And instead, dad said, I'm so glad to see you. I'm glad to have you back. I'm glad you realized that you can come home anytime you wanted. He didn't even point to him to say, tell me all about what you did while you're out there. He just said, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're home. child. Welcome back, son. Welcome back, daughter. I want to say to us today that the kingdom of heaven is yours, no matter what the battle is that you're in, if you'll yield your life to Jesus. Verse 11. Blessed Blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me, because of Jesus. He says, when that happens, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Not the two first things I think of when these things are happening in my life. But he says, rejoice and be glad. I think of Paul when Paul was locked up and he began to sing. He was in jail and he began to sing because he said, he said they're persecuting. This, I didn't deserve this. None of this was something I did. But th- th- this is happening to me because of Jesus. So I'm going to sing some songs and I'm going to celebrate. And, and, and the scripture says that, that not only he was, was, was freed because of that. But, but the other people who were locked up next to him all got freed too because, because God moved in that moment because Paul said, I don't deserve this. So Jesus, this is really just about you. So I'm going to praise you even though I'm in a storm. I'm going to praise you even though life is falling apart. I'm going to praise you even though everything in my circumstances says I shouldn't, even though everybody everybody would accept the fact that, that I'm giving up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to bottom out on you and nothing else. And so he praised God in that moment. And when he did that, the blessings from heaven fell. Rejoice and be glad when that happens, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. I was at, uh, I was at soccer practice for just for a minute, dropping my son off on Saturday, and, uh, and the assistant coach came over, and he said, he said, Ray, 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 Ray. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, he did, he, did, he said my name that many times. Said, yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, uh, I can't figure out how to spell Isaiah's name. I thought, okay. He seemed really worried about it. Can't figure out how to spell Isaiah's name. So, so we, we practiced together. Y'all know how to spell Isaiah, by the way? I-S-A-I-A-H, right? It seems like it's just a no-brainer, right? But uh, I mean, it's, it, it took me a long time to learn how to spell it, too. But anyway, so it's I-S-A-I-A-H, right? And, uh, and so I'm like, it's I-S-A-I-H. And he write it down, and he get his vowels mixed up, and no, he spelled it wrong, and did it again, did it again, did it again. Like four times, I-S-A-I-A, finally he got it, Isaiah, I-S-A-I-H. And I looked over, and I was like, you know, it's like the prophet, Isaiah. And he looked back at me, and he said, you know, I grew up in my church my whole life, and I never thought about this. And I thought to myself, the prophet, Isaiah, you didn't think about that? That's a pretty big book, you know? And we had this kind of chuckling moment. And uh, 
And I can't blame him for not knowing. I mean, I, I've told this story plenty of times. Like, I spelled my daughter's name wrong for the first five years of her life. So, so at least for the first five days and probably longer. But, but so I couldn't blame him for not knowing how to spell. But, but when I said the prophet Isaiah, he lit up. He lit up. And I was like, oh, he got it. He's like the prophet Isaiah. If I'm going to be in the company, if I'm, my name is going to be listed in the company of somebody else, list me in the company of the prophets. List me in the company of the prophets. So when, when Jesus says to you, he says, when you're going through it, if you'll hang on, the reward in the heaven is yours, just like I gave to the prophets. You got to understand what he was saying to the disciples, what he was saying to the crowds, what he was saying to everybody who even had ever heard of who the prophets might be. When you go through it, if you'll hang on to the one who will see you through it, you will be listed amongst the heroes of the faith. It won't be easy. It won't be easy. But hang in there. I saw this really cool video. Um, Tim Tebow, who many of you have probably heard of before in life, he uh, was visiting a prison, and I had a chance to preach at the prison. And uh, just kind of a cool thing. And one of the inmates challenged Tim Tebow to a push-up contest. You should check this video out if you see it. Because you just, for no other reason, just be in awe of the fact that people could do this many push-ups. But these two guys that are both, like, the size of tractor trailers stood up there, like, and, and then laid down there and then just began to do push-ups. And I was like, I was like, that's a lot of work. I got to fast forward. And like a minute later, a minute and a half later, they were still doing push-ups. So when it was over, they, 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 you know, the, the person who was counting said, Timmy, you did 71. And you heard all the inmates, ah, that's crazy. Awesome. And inmate number 365, you did 85. And everybody like erupted. You know, like this heroic moment. And in the caption that Tim Tebow wrote on his Instagram, he said, he said, I just got uh, destroyed in a push-up contest by somebody who I can't wait to spend eternity with. Church, I want to say this to us. I want to say this to us. You're going to go through it. And it might be confusing. And it might even lead you into places that someday you'll look and say, how did I ever get there? But if you won't bottom out, if you refuse to give up on the king, he has promised you, he's promised you that he's not going to give up on you. He's promised you an eternal inheritance here and now and forever forward. I got to guess that that, inmate, that inmate's days in, in jail haven't been joyous every day. And he's had plenty of times, I imagine, where he said, how did I get here? But what I saw in this 90-second video was a guy who said, no matter what my circumstances are, I'm not going to give up. And I saw somebody who many would say is, like, championing the faith in very public places and public ways, who said, I can't wait to spend eternity with somebody who everybody else thought had bottomed out, but he never gave up on Jesus. And Jesus never gave up on him.
Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that every one of us would be invited to come to know the upside-down way of living that you've called us to. I pray that every one of us today and this weekend would have eyes that are open to say, you know what, Jesus is asking me to fix on him regardless of what's in front of me. And Jesus is saying and offering me the gift that I don't deserve, but, but, I, but I might receive it as an inheritance if I just simply fix my eyes on him. I won't run from you, Jesus. And even if I... Even if I stray, even if I'm sitting in a moment that seems like it's spiraling out of control, I can cry out to you. I can be made right before you. I can say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I'm coming home. I'm coming back. I'm turning around. Jesus, I need you to go most of the way, but I'll at least turn in your direction. God, that you might renew us, that you might embrace us again you might celebrate. So as you preached while sitting on, uh, sitting up high and, and looking out low, and as you preached, and many heard it in the same way this day, I pray that some might be encouraged. Some might be sitting in something and might be encouraged to say, I can battle again. I can hang on again because I know the victory is mine. Even if I don't yet see how, I know it's ahead of me. So I'll press on. I'll lean in. I'll be a disciple. I'll be in a learner's posture, dependent on the king. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that you have gifted us ways to not only hear that, that to be renewed in that, to remember that. And I thank you for the tradition that the church has had for 2,000 years of gathering together and celebrating a meal that seemed so simple and yet was sacred. It was holy. It was right. And Jesus, I thank you for what you set into motion the night before you died when you chose to have one lasting moment with your disciples. And I thank you for the way the early church said we would continue to do this, that we never forget that you loved us, that you died for us, that you resurrected for us, and that you promised that you'll come back again. On the night before he died, Jesus gathered together with the disciples, and he took bread like this, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. This is my body that is going to be broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and they shared it. This cup is the new covenant, my blood that will be shed for you. In the earliest memories of the church, Paul says that every time we take the bread and we drink from the cup, we celebrate all that God has done, but we remember that he is coming back again. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never truly yielded your life to Jesus, I want to invite you now, right where you're at, would you take a moment and just pray a prayer to God? 
You say, well, Pastor Ray, I don't know how to pray a prayer to God. I'm glad you thought that. Let me help. It might go something like this. Dear God, I can't without you. But that, that guy in the front said, I can with you. And I want to. I don't know everything about you. But if you can make my life right with you, I want that. So I believe these things. I believe you truly are God. I'm not, you are. I believe you lived and you died. The Bible said it. I believe you resurrected from the grave and that you will come back again. If you'll believe those things, if you'll yield control of your life to Jesus, Jesus has promised us an eternity together. It doesn't mean roses and smelly flowers all the time. Smelly flowers? You know what I mean. But what it does mean is this. Hang on. He's got a promise for you. He's got a promise for you. Jesus, I pray that every one of us will believe upon you for salvation. We'd stop living in our own accord. We would trust in you to be the one who leads us eternally. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.